0: Hello, and a very warm welcome to The Lancet podcast. I'm Richard Lane on Thursday, July the 16th. This week, we're discussing the launch of a new Lancet Commission, a partnership between The Lancet and the Rockefeller Foundation concerning planetary health, being launched in New York City today, Thursday, July the 16th. Plenty more detail online where the commission and related content is all freely available. But for this podcast, I spoke a few days ago to very much the architect behind the commission, Andy Haynes, who is Professor of Public Health and Primary Care at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. And I began by asking him to set out the scope and aims of this new commission.
1: The aims of the commission really are to review the many global changes taking place and to outline the implications for human health and also to assess Uh, potential ways forward that could both improve environmental sustainability and human health. It's often said that we're in a new geological epoch called the Anthropocene epoch, and that is because humanity is now one of the the key driving force, really, of environmental change. So we're living in a planet which is very much shaped and moulded by the activities of human beings. And, of course, we have benefited greatly from the exploitation of the environment, which has allowed us to develop and flourish and our health to improve. But we're now seeing that there are multiple changes in the environment which are taking us on an unsustainable trajectory. So these include accelerating energy use, water use, domesticated land for farming, which is now beginning to tail off, use of fertilizers, capture of fish, marine fish capture, for example, is now tailing off, although aquaculture is increasing, tropical forest loss, and so on and so on. So a whole range of different trends. So climate change is obviously part of that, and it's an important part of it, but it's not the only change that's occurring. And we've been looking across A whole range of these different changes.
0: Thanks very much for that. And can you elaborate on this relationship between how we manage the planet or perhaps mismanage the planet might be a better way of putting it, how this mismanagement of the resources available on our planet contributes directly to poor health?
1: Well there are a number of ways in which these planetary changes can impact on human health. One of course is on the food and agricultural system. So there are multiple environmental changes which are occurring including carbon dioxide fertilization, decline in pollinators, climate change uh, itself, changes in land use and soil um, erosion, and depletion of freshwater resources including um, the exploitation of aquifers, which have a really a neg- negligible rate of deep ones, a negligible rate of replenishment on human timescales. So when you put all these factors together and also take into account that it's not just the land that's changing, it's also the oceans, then we have serious concerns about uh, future food security and also about the, the quality of the food that we eat. And, um, for example, There's an accompanying paper with the commission report co-authored by um, Sam Myers from Harvard and that uh, looks at the effects of pollinator decline on human health and documents changes, reductions in micronutrient availability but also increased risk of non-communicable diseases because of uh, reductions in fruit and vegetable, for example, fruit and vegetable um, availability. So that's just one specific uh, example of how these changes can cause impacts on on human health. But then there are many others, of course, changes in emerging infectious diseases, zoonotic diseases, for example, caused by environmental uh, disruption, increases in uh, extreme events like floods and droughts, but also uh, sometimes environmental change can increase our vulnerability to some of these um, extreme events. And then, of course, water-related diseases, and some of the more indirect effects of environmental destruction, uh, such as perhaps displacement of populations, possibly even conflict. It's not clear yet, but it it may be exacerbated by some of these trends. So there's a whole range of mechanisms of ways in which human health can be affected by these really pervasive environmental trends that threaten to halt and perhaps ultimately reverse, unless we do something about it, The gains that we've witnessed over recent decades.
0: There is much talk in global health at the moment and specifically in the Planetary Health Commission report about the need for health systems to be resilient. This concept of resilience is increasingly important, isn't it? Can you elaborate on that?
1: Yes, this whole concept of resilience is a very important uh, one, certainly in discussing environmental sciences, but also in terms of the human responses to environmental threats and challenges. And it's really defined as the capacity of any entity, could be an individual community or an organization, in this case the health system, to prepare for disruptions, to recover from shocks and stresses, and to adapt and grow from a disruptive experience. So in a health system context, that would include the capacity to Uh, be able to respond to extreme events, for example, like floods, droughts, heat waves, to maintain uh, core services and at the same time reach out to people who've been affected by these uh, extreme events or outbreaks of disease. Um, We saw, for example, recently in the Ebola outbreak how the very uh, fragmented and weak health systems in West Africa were overwhelmed by that disease and um, uh, illustrates really the importance of creating much more resilient health systems that are able to uh, withstand shocks and redirect their resources in a short time period in order to respond satisfactorily to these threats.
0: That sounds easy to say, but more difficult to actually do.
1: It is a very difficult thing to achieve, but we have to also um, see that there are examples of low-income countries that are building up their capacity, their health system capacity, very quickly. If we look at Ethiopia, for example... The health extension workers, these are primary health care workers, women trained for about a year to deliver basic preventive and curative care. This is a good example of how a low-income country is very rapidly scaling up its own workforce, not in the kind of conventional Western sense, but in a sense which is very relevant to the local culture and the resources they have available. And we're beginning to see Some benefits from that in Pakistan, for example, the lady health workers who are also primary health care workers, large numbers of them have been trained and they were mobilized in the aftermath of the Pakistan um, floods and droughts and so on and and provided uh, valuable support to local communities. There is work going on. Um, a lot of that is not necessarily driven by environmental change it's been driven by today's problems but some of these um, systems and solutions do make countries more resilient to some of the shocks that are coming and will come in the future
0: and professor haynes there are a number of key policy recommendations aren't there coming out of the planetary health commission can you just summarize what these are
1: Yes, we have a number really of key messages. I won't go into all of them. But let me just focus on a few of the key ones. We think there are three broad kinds of challenges. One is what we call imagination or conceptual challenges. That's the fact that we tend to focus on things like GDP, gross domestic product, as the main measure of human progress. But these measures are very, very flawed. And uh, they don't necessarily reflect human progress accurately. Neither do they reflect the environmental damage that's being done by today's economic activities. So we need to uh, reframe some of the concepts which drive society at present. We need also to complement the kind of curative, biomedical and molecular approach to health, which is, of course, important, with a focus on addressing the environmental and social roots of ill health. Through a more preventive and proactive approach and we've already talked about the importance of, of uh, health systems but health professionals themselves can play an important role of course by improving their own knowledge in this area their knowledge of local health conditions that may be affected by some of these global environmental changes but also by influencing health policies to try and create a more sustainable and stable health systems. then the second group of challenges is really those of improving um, our knowledge so it's about addressing research and information challenges and this really necessitates expanding transdisciplinary research so it's not just health researchers it's also working with people of other disciplines like um, environmental scientists agricultural scientists social scientists interested in behavior change and so on to tackle this in a coherent way this complex agenda and to build integrative surveillance systems that can collect rigorous health, social and environmental data over long time periods to provide early detection of emerging disease outbreaks or changes in nutrition, for example. And finally, we also draw on the experience of some of the transformative movements of recent years in health. And one of them is, of course, the HIV uh, treatment movement. And in in our report, we have a, a, a case study about why the grassroots matter and what we can learn from Uh, coalitions such as those between um, people who are living with HIV, uh, research scientists and clinicians to improve the uptake of antiretroviral drugs. And we draw the analogy there with that success of that movement and call for a more collaborative approach which engages many of the grassroots communities that are going to be particularly on the front line of being affected uh, initially. Of course, we all ultimately... going to be affected by these planetary changes but are going to be initially affected by many of the changes that are taking place.
0: It's important of course isn't it to relate the work that's gone in and that is coming out of this Planetary Health Commission to obviously the big picture in global health for the next 15 years or so which of course is the era of sustainable development. We're moving from Millennium Development Goal arena into the SDG, Sustainable Development Goal era. They're going to be adopted by the UN later this year. So how does this commission plug in to that truly global picture of our migration, if you like, into the new era up to 2030 of uh, having Sustainable Development Goals?
1: The Sustainable Development Goals, of course, are quite wide-ranging. As you know, there have been 17... Uh, Goals and 169 targets have been suggested by the Open Working Group of the UN General Assembly. And many of those do encompass elements of planetary health. So they look for things like uh, poverty reduction, uh, greater environmental sustainability with the support of biodiversity, uh, reducing uh, air pollution, more sustainable food and agricultural systems, But they have been criticised on a number of grounds, but one of them is that they lack a kind of overarching coherence. What are we really trying to achieve here? And we argue that planetary health can provide a coherent uh, overall conceptual framework because it emphasises the need to protect and support and promote human health at the same time as living within the finite um, environmental boundaries within which a humanity can flourish and which we're currently either are breaching or in danger of breaching.
0: Well, it's been a very interesting discussion. I don't think you'd get a bigger or more fascinating read than considering the issues of planetary health. So, uh, Professor Andy Haynes, good luck with the launch of the Commission. Thanks very much indeed for talking to The Lancet.
1: Many thanks.